and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Left Behind. Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend, co-host, co-pilot. That um, phrasing analogy works well for this one. <laughs> Don't worry, Alex, I'm not going to vanish halfway through the recording. Thank you, thank you. Uh, my brother in the... <laughs> The fight against Rotten Tomatoes and and the endless travel down the path of the contrary, Julio Oliveira. Julio, we are here today to discuss quite the piece of business, <laughs> 2014's Left Behind from Vic Armstrong. I'm glad I'm glad you specified, is it 2014 uh, Left Behind? Not to be confused with uh, Left Behind colon the movie, which is from the year 2000, I think? Really? Uh, yeah. Left Behind, Colin, the movie uh, from the year 2000, starring Kirk Cameron. Uh, might be based on the same thing with Kirk Cameron involved. So. It, it absolutely is. Except that this movie, oh. I guess, was successful enough to have two sequels. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> uh, homeboy here, Vic Armstrong, the director, was the second unit director on The Amazing Spider-Man. So there you go, Julio. <sighs> Did he choreograph the the... Coldplay sequence? The only good part of that movie? <laughs> he was also Harrison Ford's stunt double in Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade. How old is this guy? And Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, born in 46, so he's up there. Well, it's good to know that the the industry did not leave him behind. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess. <laughs> So as for the why we're doing this, we'll get to that in the second portion of this uh, episode. But Julio, Nicolas Cage has returned to the Contrarians. And how? Last time we saw Nicolas Cage, he was uh, he was full on Cage. He was uh, Caster Troy, but he was also Sean Archer. <laughs> it was Face Off. It was uh, one of the highlights of the Summer of Travolta. And now all these years later... Uh, Man, this is this is a different era of Cage, wouldn't you say? <laughs> this is, I mean, I we're this is timely, Alex, because we are kind of uh, maybe on the on the verge of a Cage Renaissance. It might have mm-hmm. already started. Maybe it might have started with Mandy uh, or or even Pig. But he had a movie on South by Southwest that was, I mean, I I think it got a pretty good reception. Well, and also I think it's at the point right now. If I understood correctly, his 
financial and tax issues have finally resolved. Mm-hmm. So he's in a spot where he can be more um, selective. Yes, <laughs> more disciplined with the things that he chooses to do. Uh, the American dream. You can dig yourself out of debt. But um, but you might have to <laughs> sell your soul yeah. in the process. But before digging yourself out of debt, you you have to be sure to be left behind with the rest of us. So, Julio, uh, tackling a zero percenter today, and I can't remember, have we ever done a zero percenter before? No, this is a contrarian's first. Now we go. have both ends of the spectrum. A long time ago, we did a hundred percenter, and now we're doing a zero percenter. So with that in mind, I feel it's necessary to go ahead and explain what it is we do here on The Contrarians to any all potential new listeners. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh, and make a case for, you know, maybe why that isn't telling the whole story. That uh, maybe there's some bad acting, uh, some poor direction, bad cinematography, score, what have you. Just kind of finding the things that maybe the critics swept under the rug. Conversely, finding a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated. We usually shoot for about 30% and below. No struggles with this one here. Um, (laughs) Those nasty green splotches known as Rotten. And as you'd guess, make a case for the positive merit in the film. Maybe the acting, uh, some bold direction choices, you know, some things that maybe just weren't given their propers. Uh, All in an attempt to tell you that, number one, this shit is subjective. You can be as over the moon or as cynical about anything as you want to be in two. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't always tell the whole story. Uh, we did not choose this. Like I said, this was brought uh, to to us. It was a request, and the context of which I'll get to here in the second half, as I mentioned. Uh, but what I just described, what we do with these films, comprises the first half of our podcast, and that's what we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, where we'll get to the explanation of the why of this, and as well as our real feelings about it, listeners just need to hang around to the second half. That's correct. Part two aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you about our real feelings. We tell you exactly what we thought of uh, the movie, regardless of its Rotten Tomatoes score. Uh, So, did we love Left Behind? Did we hate Left Behind? Well, you'll find out uh, in part two. Based on its text, I kind of know how Alex feels about this movie. I would hope you know how I feel about this movie, Julio. (laughs) The real question is, how do I feel about this movie, Alex? Either way, it's going to be fun. I mean, the surprise is always, uh, you know, it's like the cherry on top. But even when we know exactly how we feel, because we get to talk about the movie uh, from a different angle. Now, mm-hmm. we stop trying to be funny and we just try to, uh, I guess, untangle whatever's been tangled by the filmmakers, if, if necessary. Uh, and maybe we both like it or dislike it for different reasons. That always makes for, for an interesting conversation. So stick around uh, for part two. Check part two after uh, we do Contrarian's Corner, and uh, you'll get the, the full course, the full meal. All right. Well, might as well just jump on into this one. Uh, Left Behind, a 2014 American apocalyptic thriller directed, as we mentioned, by Vic Armstrong and written by Paul Lalande and John Pattis. It is based on the 2001... American song by heavy metal band Slipknot, <laughs> Left Behind, <laughs> released as the lead single from the band's second album, Iowa. 
It's produced by Ross Robinson. The single reached number 30 on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Charts, number 24 on the UK Singles Charts, and number 5 on UK Rock and Metal Singles Charts. It was also nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance in 2002. Uh, Alex, PolitiFact is, is calling you a liar. They're fact-checking you in real time. I had to. That's when I saw the title of the movie. I just heard that. As I close my eyes, I see Now, however, however, in reality, Left Behind is based off of the 1995 novel by the same name, uh, Eschatology, I believe is like the, what you would classify that as. Uh, this book and others in the series give narrative form to a specific eschatology reading of the Christian Bible. Oh, okay. Eschatology, uh, the part of theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and humankind. Christian hope is concerned with eschatology or the science of last things, is uh, the example given here. So, in the history of religion, the term eschatology refers to concepts of the last things, immortality of the soul, rebirth, resurrection, migration of the soul, and the end of time. These concepts also have secular parallels, for example, in the turning points of one's life and in one's understanding of death. Not unlike This is the End, starring Seth Rogen, James Franco, <laughs> Jonah Hill, etc., etc. Uh, that's where the term scatological humor comes from. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Released on October 3rd of 2014, a somehow a budget of $16 million, I'm assuming 15.5 of that went to Nicolas Cage. But a box office return of well, nearly It went to the million. IRS, Alex. Yeah, touche. It went to his Cayman Holdings account, uh, Cayman Islands holding account. Um, <laughs> but yeah, box office of nearly $30 million. Uh, We've discussed these faith-based movies before. Uh, they're not going to make you any fucking dark night money but they have an audience and you add nicholas cage to the fold and they'll show up in droves uh despite the fact that it nearly doubled its budgets it cannot be said that critics were as favorable <laughs> as the paying public was as zero percent of rotten tomatoes based off nice 69 reviews <laughs> and i believe it's a two percent audience review on it as well so even the people that paid to see it weren't thrilled about it <laughs> uh i i didn't check like the, the the comments from just the regular folk but i i wonder if their main problem was just that they didn't think it was as good as the kirk cameron version because that would be a fucking slap in the face <laughs> you know the, it wasn't as true to the book as uh as they wanted it to be the subject material, yeah, but zero uh, percent. So you probably had to do some some digging to find some positive comments about this. Did you did you hit up Letterbox for the second half? Uh, no, I just went with more <laughs> rotten ones. God bless. Well, it seems like it's necessary <laughs> considering it's zero percent. Yeah, it, it was just I thought about Letterbox, but I'm like, there's enough here to make good points in re in real talk. So don't worry. But, it, it, it's not going to be repetitive. Uh, it, there's different degrees of negativity going on in, the, in these critic circles. But yeah, I, I have a few rotten quotes to get us started here. Um, Brian Truitt from USA Today 
uh, says, Left Behind seriously could have used some divine intervention. Uh, Fair. <laughs> Susan Granger from SSG Syndicate says, Faith-driven audiences deserve better. Uh, I mean, everybody deserves better. You know, that's just yeah. like, as, as, as the world deserves better. But if I wanted to be snarky, I would say faith-driven audiences. I mean, th- does she have this comment for every single faith-based movie that comes out? Because yeah, for real, I agree they deserve better. But I wouldn't single Left Behind out just as like the one movie that left that let them down. Then again, I'm not part of the audience, so maybe I'm wrong. Um, Rebecca Polly from Pajiba says, there's no drama, no suspense, no real stakes even, because most of the movie takes place after the rapture already happened. Which I found puzzling, because this movie would be really boring if you save the rapture for, like, I don't know, the climax. No <laughs> the, shit. The whole point. Is, the, the whole movie should happen after the rapture has already happened. Rebecca Polly wanted a, the prequel. like Everything that happens before. It's just uh, how Nicolas Cage and Leah Thompson got married. Uh, and finally, Linda Bernard from the Toronto Star says, score one for Satan. Wow. <laughs> it's the beginning of the end days when Nicolas Cage cannot get a sequel made. Everybody loves Rick Santoro. So left behind, if I did know, I completely forgot because in the opening credits it said Leah Thompson. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's on the Krusty the Clown schedule in this. I think they had her for 20 minutes or so. Um, Chad Michael Murray obviously plays the obviously. What I guess he would probably be the protagonist. It's either really? him or the dot, him or the daughter. You don't think Cage is the protagonist? I mean, he's the star, but it's not his story really. It's driven by Chad Michael Murray and uh, Chloe Steele seem to be like the central the central focuses focus eye. Well, because they try to like paint Nick Cage as kind of like a dumpy loser. <laughs> Whereas, you know, it, it seems at any moment Chad Michael Murray, Cameron Buck Williams could save the world. Uh, I, I mean, I think they team up. They save the world together. Or at least they give us the, the promise that they'll save the world together. Like Cage is the experienced vet and and uh, CMM is just the, the, the young buck. This was like, a, what was what was the Chris Pine Denzel Washington train movie? <laughs> Unstoppable? Yeah, that was like this in a plane. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember the attempts at making chad michael murray like the jonathan taylor thomas the channing tatum like the, the hot white guy i mean he was he was like the heir to the josh hartnett throne yes i mean i at the same time i have to confess this is the first chad michael murray vehicle that i've watched i know him because i the, the poster for a cinderella story is for some reason just engraved in my mind i, I guess we <laughs> We had it at the theater forever, and you know, it's just—is it Hillary Duff that's like yeah. writing him, right? Like she's on his well, back. She, okay, yeah, she's <laughs> yes. not writing him, but yeah, it's a it's a PG movie, <laughs> but yeah. So so Hillary Duff was Cinderella, and I guess he's the prince, and he looks like a kid, right? Like your standard white kid. The Jonathan Taylor Thomas call out is appropriate. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the most amazing things in this movie is that he's a man. He has the facial hair and the, the agency of an adult. Uh, you're right. I mean, I, I watch him. I, I see him on, on screen. And yeah, I believe that he could save the world if, if given the chance. 
but he plays an investigative reporter, right? Like he's fucking Araldo or some shit. <laughs> yeah, I could see Araldo <laughs> just pulling out his camera, recording it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess who else? Who do we have that is like John Oliver? Anderson. What was the guy's name? Yes, there you go, Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper, that was it. We got there. He's a young Anderson Cooper. And he is not a religious person. This movie draws a very hard line, as you would expect from a faith-based movie, uh, between the the non-believers and the believers. Chad Michael Murray, not a believer, but still kind of one of the good guys, right? Like, everybody seems to be pretty flawed when they're not believers. But Chad Michael Murray, you know, he clearly, I mean, he's left behind. So that means that he wasn't... A- <laughs> a believer but we're never shown why he you know why he wasn't picked to go to heaven well yeah he seems to just believe that everyone should be able to do what they want and still that's punished so uh (laughs) all right so university of central arkansas student chloe Steele has flown home from college to new york to surprise her father pilot raymond rayford excuse me rayford (laughs) Steele, for his birthday party however her mother irene informs her that her father cannot make it while at the airport waiting for him, Chloe meets investigative reporter Cameron Buck Williams. Rayford shows up on way to his flight and apologizes to Chloe for missing his birthday party, insisting he was called in to pilot a flight to London at the last minute. He also assures Chloe that things are fine between himself and wife, who's recently become a proselytizing Christian. <laughs> All right. To proselytize is to preach your religion or beliefs, especially to convert others. Checks or to out. promote a certain course of action. <laughs> An example of proselytizing is when you explain Christian theology to try to convince your agnostic friend to join the Christian faith. Christian yeah. explaining. <laughs> to be fair, Leah Thompson coming here <laughs> off the heels of Howard the Duck looking just as fine. I would have converted to any religion she told me to. Yep. Been like, yes, ma'am. But this is all to much to Chloe's chagrin. Chloe suspects things are not fine between her parents. She had seen him flirting with a flight attendant, Hattie, and noticed his removal of his wedding ring. Her suspicions are soon confirmed when airport worker hands Chloe a pair of tickets for a concert in London that Rayford had ordered, indicating that his trip was planned in advance. Not just any concert, Alex. Oh, no. This was 2014 (laughs) and like... All right, so it's U2, and it's mentioned like two or three times throughout the movie. I understand U2 is a big act, but it again, this is like a modern movie. You could have said like Lady Gaga or some shit, like some big <laughs> recent but, act. But see, then then you date your movie, right? Because Lady Gaga, we don't know for sure that Lady Gaga is going to have the longevity that U2 has. <laughs> Lady Gaga could be temporary. U2 is forever, baby. And U2, today at 7th and Main, if you haven't heard about it, you know how hard it is to get U2 tickets. They are sold out. Everywhere. They sold went out. fast. I mean, you still we still know who, who they are. It would crush me if one of our listeners just doesn't get it because they don't know who U2 is. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that U2 has been like red hot their entire careers, but they they keep coming back up. They're like the Rolling Stones, you know? It's like They're still one of those bands when they go on tour at stadium shows or nothing. Right. And and you get it. It's like, "Oh, tickets to U2? Okay, this this must have been expensive." But it could be that 10 years from now, people are watching Left Behind and they're like, Lady Who? The girl from uh, Star is Born? Oh, she had a cameo in Muppets Most Wanted, I remember. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so we set the table here. Nicholas Cage, Rayford, he's, you know, 
he doesn't believe in what his wife's spouting. And, you know, that that's understandable and relatable. That could cause a serious issue if all of a sudden your significant other, uh, Julio, you know, you and I aren't, uh, I don't think we write off religion or anything like that, but either of us, if like, uh, who were dating or a significant other, you know, in your case, your wife just randomly became super devout and that's all they talked about, it would kind of throw us for a loop. So it makes the character here of Rafer and what he's going through kind of relatable, not condoning extramarital affairs and adultery and all that shit, but just his mental state. You know, it's kind of like I could see myself kind of feeling the same way. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, you understand why he leaves the house. You know, he's being proselytized to. <laughs> Like nope, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take a break and just go on a flight. I volunteer to fly to London. I'll take that shift. The I, I think that one of the things that it's, it's I'll pick up your shift. I'll work a double on Saturday. <laughs> yes. uh, I I think one of the the cool things is that they give Nicholas Cage just enough uh, flaws, I guess, to where we understand why he doesn't go to heaven, right? But they don't go over the line. Like he's, he takes his ring off and he's very flirty with this uh, uh, stewardess. But I think the movie makes it clear that they're not sleeping together. At least not yet. I mean, obviously, <laughs> after the U two concert, anything goes probably. But right now, the the whole thing oh, seems man, yeah. fairly. When it. the streets have no name, hit <laughs> panties are coming down. <laughs> You you hold hands uh, when they play one, you jump up and down when they play Sunday Bloody Sunday, and then yeah, where the streets where the streets have no name. That's just uh, that's what you close. Pants are end. off. Yeah, and then the post coitus spooning is uh, I don't know fucking beautiful day. <laughs> the sweetest thing. There you go. Oh, the sweetest thing. So, but that's one of those things that kind of makes this movie stand out. Is that it's. Uh, you know, to people like you and me, I, I think that the, the standard uh, faith-based audience, the, you know, that that critic was advocating for, maybe they, they're used to this. But uh, the, the people like you and I that don't generally partake in a, a faith-based cinema, this is kind of refreshing because, you know, we're used to, to harder turns. And so I would expect Nicolas Cage's character to be a real asshole, you know, like the, I would expect the movie to really paint him in very almost irredeemable ways so that he would have this sort of, uh, in a way, predictable arc you know, throughout the movie. But no, faith-based movies, in a way, kind of wisely pull their punches when it comes to that because there's there's more important stuff to go, you know, that they need to tackle, which is the, the message. And uh, it's just kind of fascinating to watch this, this movie aware of it being uh, a faith-based movie, but also admiring the fact that it's, is reaching to a mainstream audience. It's trying to be a blockbuster too. There's just planes crashing and there's just like this whole apocalyptic uh, uh, scope to it that that's not your your standard faith-based movie. You know, that's not what they do. So this guy, Vic Armstrong, right? Yeah. He stepped up to the plate and he, he was given the mission to to marry these two genres, uh, these two worlds, re- religious people and religious movies, along with... Uh, spectacle uh, destruction like this could be a Roland Emmerich movie if it didn't have the the religious undertones 
and it succeeds. But I think that maybe also that combination might have been what put some people off. When discussing all this, Nicolas Cage just hits his daughter hard with this speech about love and marrying young. And he was just talking about like the ways people change between 20 and 50 is just <laughs> humongous. <laughs> And it's such like a, a huge age gap. It's like, of course, dude. But, uh, you know, he just tells his daughter, he tells Chloe, you know, sunshine, uh, the world's not all sunshine and rainbows, lollipops, all the things you think it is. But uh, he's steadfast. He's like, I'm sorry that you came this way, but I'm, I'm going to London with my side piece. And we're, <laughs> we're going to go hang out with Bono. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but he does have the great line, though, about, Leah Thompson and her extreme devout lifestyle now where he says, well, if your mother was going to run off with another man, it might as well be Jesus. He says something like that. It's <laughs> tremendous. That's why you cast Nicolas Cage. You know, that's, oh, yeah, that's the yeah. kind of line that most actors couldn't get away with. But uh, you get Nicolas Cage and you ground this movie in uh, some sort of reality. Chad Michael Murray, Buck, CMM, as he's known on the streets. He's really persistent with Chloe. Once to get her number, he comes talking to her, and they. Uh, if someone was hitting on me, or if I was hitting on a girl, um, arguing about the existence of God is not the first topic I would land on. <laughs> but that's where this movie kind of has, you know, some chutzpah and some balls on it. Is it's kind of what they're arguing about because she says, you know, you with everywhere you've been, you know, how can you believe in God? And he tells a story about a woman who whose three of her four kids died in a tsunami, and she believe that God saved the last one and they were still killed anyway. And he, he drops some truth and it's actually some really good, not dialogue, but just kind of like a statement here where he says, if you, if you look hard enough at something, you'll find what you're looking for. And he says something about, you know, and you can convince yourself that it's true and you, know, you can just kind of hide all the other stuff, which is weird because that's like, you can read that, multiple ways because this movie seems to kind of beat you over the head with the idea of like westernized christianity is the only way to go but then he says something like that that makes a lot of sense it's like oh okay well we're, they're at least giving the other characters here respectable viewpoints and you know make them making them seem intelligent without having to prescribe to what this movie's peddling yeah that, that's why you know i really like this character because he's really the one that's kind of in the middle uh with cage he he's more obviously flawed and i wonder if you know if this franchise had been allowed to continue uh, if we had maybe found out about chad michael murray's dark past you know but here he he kind of he's like the, the voice of reason in a way uh, because the movie is not afraid of showing you some people that are deeply religious and also deeply deranged right like there's like a lady early in the movie that just uh Starts harassing him, starts harassing CMM. Uh, well, she say? she starts talking about religion in a way that's very aggressive, and you know that's his that's how his meet cute with Chloe happens. Something about every earth, yeah, every earthquake's the end of the world or some shit. Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, it it kind of confused me at first because I was not expecting uh, uh, quotation marks, you know, religious movie to depict a religious person in such a negative light you know it's like man this this woman is just very unpleasant and she's you know and she seems to be uh for lack of a better term like the kind of person that would go watch left behind in theaters you know like and uh but then <laughs> yeah. the movie actually just what ended up being is that the movie was confident enough to give you that portrayal of a religious person but also 
many different ones. You know, there's different gradations, different uh, shades of gray when it comes to religious people. They're not all they're not all saints, and they're all not like fanatics. It's just there's all all kinds. I mean, actually, I think that the the Leah Thompson character is a very uh, I guess nuanced portrayal of somebody that's very hardcore into religion. You know, like everything that they say and everything that you see her do, like shows that she's very uh, religious. But when they when you actually see her talk, she's like a very sweet person and she seems very uh, just caring. You know, so I, I'm glad because usually I guess the, the idea is that with this type of movie, with a, with a faith based movie, there's no room for subtlety and everybody's just very, oh, no. very good or very bad. And uh, this movie actually has all the in-betweens, I think. Buck succeeds in getting her phone number and says, you know, I'll talk to you later and um, hops on the plane. We see that his cameraman is, uh, I just want to call him Blindside, but that's <laughs> obviously not his name. <laughs> it's not even the name very, of his character. <laughs> no, very brief appearance. Simon is the name of his character. Quentin Aaron is this gentleman's name, who, of course, played uh, Michael in The Blindside. Um Back at home, Chloe's now left the the airport, went back to her home there, and this is where we get discussion with her and Leah Thompson. It just turns into a big God talk, and um, some of my, you know, kind of not issues with religion, but the way some people frame it are kind of brought to light here, and I feel it's a very um, relatable, applicable scene in which Leah Thompson's, you know, saying, you know, God brought you to the house, and he, she... And Chloe responds, no, I got in a car and I drove over here and is very <laughs> pragmatic about it. And I've just kind of always found myself in situations like that, curious about where you draw the line between faith and, you know, the the practicality of it all. Um, but, it's, but this, it, of course, leads... But again, like, you know, that's that's why you uh, cast somebody like Leah Thompson, because you can, you can give her this sort of uh, oh, yeah. extreme position and she can still make it relatable and you still care. You know, like she, she doesn't feel like a nag. I, I actually, you know, they get into it, and I found myself feeling bad for her, like feeling sorry for her because she seemed really hurt <laughs> by mm-hmm. the fact that his daughter was just uh, so uh, she, she did not want to engage. And Leah Thompson seemed to be like, you know, trying to breach the the subject in a kind of a civil manner. And so that's a, that is an absolute triumph for this movie because I am not the I'm not that audience I'm not the the person that this sort of thing would be aimed at and yet the fact that I was still engaged just because the performances draw it drew me in that's that's pretty impressive. Dog, I just know that my mouth is watering that whole scene and not just because Leah Thompson was there. That lemonade they were drinking looked fucking delicious. <laughs> it was in one of those big fucking Bed Bath and Beyond pitchers and had the, the floating lemon slices in it. Homemade. Dude, looked delicious. <laughs> Leah Thompson could have spit in it, and I would have been like, praise God. <laughs> so, Chloe has a little brother. His name's something odd. Raimi. So, there's Ray Ford and Raimi. She takes Raimi to the mall. For any of our video game players out there, there was a scene that reminded me very much of Heavy Rain. Uh, great game from, Jesus, a decade ago or so. And, um, yeah, she just loses him in the mall temporarily, but she she finds him. She loses him, she finds him, then she loses him again for good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the U2 tickets come back up. I don't remember how. I just have it in my notes that we're still talking about the U2 tickets. <laughs> because they, uh, 
I think that Cage gets them finally, right? Because it- oh yeah, Buck Chad Michael Murray gets on board, and just the cabin door is open to the fucking <laughs> cockpit, and he just walks in. And he's like, "Hey, Captain, she wanted me to give you these," and he's like, "Oh yes, the U two tickets." <laughs> uh, can't wait to see my boy Edge. <laughs> So this is a little bit, I don't know if you noticed it, uh, Alex, but that's a, a very uh, pretty awesome bit of acting from Nicolas Cage because he he's pretty happy about getting the tickets and then he opens the envelope and he has a reaction to it. And I thought at first, I was like, did I imagine it? What's going on? Um, but then later on in the movie, you realize that he was reacting to something that she had written on the envelope. Uh, but it's like, I don't know, at least 40 minutes between this reaction and the payoff to that reaction. So uh, yeah. I thought it was great. You know, that's uh, Nicholas Cage is such a good actor that he can just he can set things up with like just an, a raised eyebrow, and then the movie keeps going. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, so I, I think at this point it, it needs to be asked uh, because you know we're, we're getting close to the big the big turning point. It do you did you even know like about the rapture like uh, like in real life, not in this movie, but you know, like are you familiar with the concept of the the rapture? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how much we've talked about this. You, did you grow up going to church? Uh, I mean, I went to church for like a year. I, th- I remember which episode did we talk about? Oh, it might have been for the patrons. I think we did it when we uh, when we talked about that uh, Arnie movie, um, End of Days. End of Days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I've, I've, I have enough of a religious background that I Coming can, off uh, of... Uh, that's <laughs> appropriate that it comes up because coming off of WrestleMania weekend, a wrestler has a finishing move called the End of Days <laughs> and no one had ever kicked out of it uh, until WrestleMania. So <laughs> End of Days has now been substantially covered. But yeah, I do remember now that was the episode where we discussed our experiences with uh, organized religion. Yeah, but okay. But actually, that's it's it's a good point to make because i even though i was raised catholic i i don't remember having a concept of uh rapture you know maybe that's a the spanish version of religion doesn't include rapture (laughs) that's that's only the english version the the director's cut of the bible so i didn't find out about the rapture until i was living in the states and Mm. I don't know. Fuck. It might have actually been because, you know, I worked at Barnes & Noble for a few years and we had the Left Behind books. And uh, I remember knowing what they were about. So that might have actually been my introduction to that concept. My God. But the reason I was asking you is because I... So obviously going into this movie, I knew what it was about and I knew it was a rapture and, and, and so on. But I would imagine there is... There have to be some people that didn't know, right? And uh, they, they just went to see a Nicolas Cage movie. And so... Oh, yes. As we know, as we've experienced firsthand, there are plenty of people that go to the movies and have no idea what they're about to watch. <laughs> right. And But this movie, I mean, it's not like it sets it up. Like It's not like Lord of the Rings, right, where you get the, the opening scroll and it tells you... <laughs> Somehow Palpatine returns. <laughs> yes. And, and one day the, the sky will turn gray and half the population will disappear and go to heaven or whatever. It doesn't say anything. So... You're watching this movie and you're like, this is cool, but what's going to happen? And then when it happens, you have no concept of what was happening. What's what's the most awesome thing to me is that in the year 2022, I think that there's a good chunk of the audience that would probably think that this was related to the MCU and that they were watching some sort of like spinoff and, and this is just happening parallel to Infinity War. And then, you know, 
the snap happens and half the people in the world <laughs> disappeared. Uh, and then the other the other part of the audience will be like, oh, but of course we, we grew up with this. We we know this concept. We know we know what the, the rapture is. So I applaud the fact that the movie this doesn't uh, it didn't feel the need to tack on I don't know twenty minutes of a backstory explaining the the religious. Uh, oh yeah man it, it it doesn't give you time to stop you gotta keep up with it or you're gonna get left behind <laughs> i didn't even mean to do that it took me like two seconds to realize that i that i said that right there there you go i am inevitable so yeah the rapture comes uh it's just like a zoom. it's like a flash and then mm-hmm. all the children are gone so makes sense. <laughs> is that saying that all the children believe or they're too pure to not take? Never understood that's a, that. That's a really good question. That's the kind of question that would be answered in Left Behind 2. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Left Behind 2 is where they find a child. They're like, what the fuck happened? Some like evil Damien <laughs> Omen child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these people just disappear and, you know, we eventually learn they've ascended to a higher plane. Uh, at the time, we just think there's a bunch of naked people running around because the, their clothes and watches and earthly possessions are all just dropped. And it does not take long for everyone to just devolve into chaos. People are upset for like two seconds, and then it's like looting, pillaging. Oh, man. America. It just... Uh... I mean, well, I, I guess we're supposed to expect that to be happening all over the world. But what we see is America. Yeah, all we yeah. see is the plane and then the where whatever town they're in. And then they show like footage from the news and it just says New York in the corner. So <laughs> we know it's at least happening in those places. Man, I because I, we just did that science fiction movie, Anyara, for the patrons. And it was like it took them a few years to to really devolve for society to devolve but here in left behind i think it's even a more realistic representation of what would happen uh because it yeah you're right it, they go from zero to a hundred when it comes to just not giving a shit it's uh i guess it makes sense right because the people that are left behind are all the bad people <laughs> so i guess what did that old broad do though <laughs> that old lady in first class what the hell did she do Again, uh, Left Behind 2 will answer those questions where you find out the background of all those people. Maybe she was just... Maybe she cheated on her husband. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Uh, She had lustful thoughts for Chad Michael Murray. There you go. (laughs) But this is where, you know, everyone starts freaking out. Uh, The co-pilot's gone. All the children on the plane are gone. And a lot of this is focused on the plane itself. So Nicolas Cage is trying to make sense of what's going on. We get more acquainted with some of the characters in the... Uh, first class area, you know, we got to have some good old xenophobia. Uh, more, I think it's more of just like Islamophobia because why not? God knows if there's one thing that traditional Christians fear, it's opposing <laughs> religious viewpoints. Uh, yeah, at some point in this movie, that poor guy that he goes, I mean, I'm assuming that he's from you know Islam, but his name's but he goes, Hasid, and yeah, everyone looks at him like got the side of their eye, and it's just. And he even, like, there's, like, accusatory glances at him when it happens, and he's like, I'm not a terrorist or something like that. It's a very sad state of affairs. So let's pray to God. And then the guy that has the, the, the most issues with everybody, he goes, which God? He's like, any God. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the little person, Martin Klebab? Kle- Kleba? 
uh, I just know him from Scrubs. He's one of the janitor's friends on that oh. show. Is, uh, is he as, as angry in Scrubs as he is in this movie? Oh, no. He's, he's quite uh, enjoyable. Okay, that's good to hear. Because I, I found him really entertaining. Like everybody kind of plays one note, but this guy is uh he's angry, but then at times he's funny mm-hmm. and sometimes he's very uh bold and sometimes he's a coward. Uh he he gets to play off many different characters in many different ways. I mean, he gets into it with a little kid at some point. <laughs> yes. Completely shameless. Like, what's your problem? What are you looking at? It's tremendous. Uh some are speculating it could be aliens. Some don't really know what's going on. Everyone's, uh, as is understandable, everyone's just kind of freaking out and anyone's guess is as good as the other. There's um, a young lady in the first class area who says she knows what this is, but she's like crying and then she goes to the bathroom and she she talks to herself in the mirror. It's just a bad trip. You're you're okay. Which, you know, I've been there before. <laughs> You underestimate the edibles, and you're just like, it's all right, man, just breathe. No one knows what's going on. It, it's not the rapture. It's That's okay. That great Nick Swartzen joke. Just look at everybody and smile. You'll be all right. Uh, and then she goes and sits down, and we find track marks in her arm. Uh, trip, to me, usually indicates like acid, shrooms, some sort of hallucinogens. I don't think the trip so to speak or the high you have from heroin is necessarily negotiable i think that's just gonna zonk you out regardless <laughs> yeah but maybe you just don't know that you know <laughs> let me test it out and i'll, I'll update y'all in the next episode um just as as society went to hell on land uh, there's also a riot an initial riot in the plane which i found yeah I think that's when I got the echoes of the Aniara. But Nicolas Cage, like, he doesn't fuck around. <laughs> he, he he drops the pressure. Dude, yeah, he gets the... the <laughs> he fucks everybody up on board, so they need oxygen to calm down. And then he goes and puts on an autopilot and talks to him, and he does the Randy Marsh, sit down! He just yells <laughs> at the one guy. Uh, he takes control quick. Like, he yep. knows what to do. That is, again, that's why you get Nicolas Cage, because Chad Michael Murray is... Uh, hunky as he is well he can't he still can't command that kind of respect he's a regular guy but Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage and he he's not just the pilot the captain of this plane but he's also he has that charisma that that star power I still I know you think that Chad Michael Murray is the the protagonist but I have a hard time just divorcing my you know I I see I said that kind of loosey-goosey now I'm not saying I don't (laughs) think Nicolas Cage is the main draw on this i just kind of said felt like we got a lot of the the buck character here but uh yeah I, I think that uh where we ultimately ultimately get with the nicholas cage character is why i i felt that he was in the end it was his story you know and i guess maybe his daughters but uh even though he may get even less screen time than uh chad michael murray he goes through the stages right like if i don't know what to do and then i take charge and then i realize what's happening and then i make amends <laughs> Yeah. It's just, now we pray. I know you all want answers, and believe me, so do I, and I'll do my best to get them. So there's a decent amount of meandering, or so it would seem, as Chloe, then we see just walking the streets of the town, and this dude gets literally fucking shotgun blasted out of, I don't know if it's a bank or what it is, and then this fucking Marshall Tucker motherfucker comes out <laughs> with a shotgun pointed at her and just does the gimmick where he, like, motions like go on and get you know 
<laughs> Did you notice that the guy that got shot, the guy that's just blown out the window, he was uh, he was wearing clown makeup? Yeah, man. The looters already started. Like uh, <laughs> the the Joaquin Phoenixes. What's his name? Uh, Arthur Flick. Is that what his name yep. is? Yeah. <laughs> They they've hit the streets and they're roll, they're rolling out their master plan. My editor said, "Man, people lost it quick." Um, dude, this is the, the Vic Armstrong. He, you know that he'd been planning this movie for years, and he was just grabbing every opportunity he had to just show his uh, prowess behind the camera. Uh, I don't know if you remember. So the way that we go into this this scene of the clown crashing through the window is uh in the plane the little person the angry little person is going through the the luggage of the muslim guy yeah and then the muslim guy like notices and they kind of have like a confrontation and then the muslim guy reaches inside his bag and pulls something out and towards the the little person and when as he does that the movie cuts into the the window breaking and and then the That's clown it. coming out yeah. like and it's it's visually it's fascinating because for a second you find yourself thinking that the Muslim guy <laughs> just shattered the little person into a million pieces, but instead what happened was like the window shattered when that clown came through, and then like the, just the the cherry on top is that then when you cut back to the to the plane, the thing that the guy was pulling out of his luggage it was just like an electric toothbrush. It's just like man playing as like a violin. It's just uh, Big Armstrong knows what he's doing. Chloe's trying to get back home. She runs through the neighborhood. We get actually a couple cool shots of like, um, you know, we think like a grieving widow because we don't really know what's going on at this point. Just sitting on her front porch and clutching her husband's hat a bit closer. Yeah, the, there's arguments in first class as to what's going on here in the cockpit. Or as Triple H would say, the cockpit. Um, <laughs> Nicholas Cage is... I guess trying to deduce these things from the one stewardess that, or excuse me, flight attendant that was, uh, that disappeared and also his co-pilot. And he just, all it takes is him looking at a really, really, really shitty watch that has John 316 inscribed in it. And, you know, he starts to put it together and he, he thinks, you know, they may have gone to heaven. Uh, One of the well, his second clue is that the I guess the journal the the planner oh yeah she has like a whole day uh, marked off for Bible study yep and he kind of laughs to himself and does like the like when Doctor Loomis causes the death of Ben Tramer in Halloween two just kind of like wipes his face like in a really just <laughs> completely incredulous state and he's starting to like piece together what's going on panic ensues back in first class. Uh, one of the passengers pulls a gun out and begins accusing all of the other passengers of concocting some major, you know, Rube Goldberg scheme of where by they knocked out her, landed the plane, took the daughter off, and then just put it back in the air. And so, more <laughs> impressively and kind of concerningly, she has a gun. <laughs> Do we know where this gun came from, Julio? I think it's from the the. Uh Air Marshal. I think the Air Marshal is one of the people that just kind of vanishes. Ah. Because Chad Michael Murray, when he finally retrieves a gun, he gives it to the to Cage. <laughs> he walks back into the cockpit like he can, and he's like, Air Marshal or something, hands him the gun. So I think, it, I'm assuming it's the same gun. I'll tell you what's impressive, Alex, that, uh, you know, this, this lady, you, you think that she's delusional coming up with this story of how they might have taken her kid. But that is the the plot of uh, 2005's flight plan. 
starring Jodie Foster. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, I've never seen it. She's on a flight. She wakes up and her kid's gone. And everybody in the plane is acting like she was. She never had a kid. Like, what are you talking about, ma'am? You, you were traveling on your own. Uh, that's it, the entire movie. And then, of course, you know, like, the whole thing is like, is she crazy? Or or is there a big conspiracy <laughs> to, to make her kid disappear? Or is it the rapture? They never asked that question. <laughs> the movie ends before you, you find out if anybody else had disappeared in the planet. Uh, oh, I definitely remember the poster for this, looking at it now. It's just Jodie Foster's face. Peter Sarsgaard, Sean Bean, Erica Christensen. There you go. I'm not going to tell you if Sean Bean dies, but um, you know what they say about Sean Bean. <laughs> Don't become too attached to him. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we get Chad Michael Murray's Oscar clip here, though, as he talks down the, the woman from yes. sh- shooting <laughs> anyone on the plane. She turns the gun on herself then, and he explains, you know, uh, he had a similar situation, which is... Mother had some issues, and uh, I guess it's implied took her own life, and how that kind of messed him up dramatically. And you know, you you shouldn't do that to your daughter. You know, we'll figure out what's going on here. Uh, But this is definitely you know his time to shine, and he makes the most of it. So I like that 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 everybody the movie has orchestrated things to where our three main characters, you know, Nicolas Cage, Chad Michael Murray, and uh, Chloe. They all find out, they, they all kind of figure out what's going on, learn what's going on around the same time. So you get to see the reactions kind of parallel each other, right? Because Cage is figuring it out in the cockpit. And he's he's talking to uh to his lover <laughs> about the fact that I think they all went to heaven. And uh Chad Malcomurray, like you know, the the girl that thought that she was stripping badly, you know, she finally wakes up and tells people about how she learned about the rapture and camp, Bible camp and and then everybody it starts sinking in. So that's how Chad Michael Murray finds out. And uh, the way that uh, Chloe finds out is, I guess it's a two-step process, right? First, she get, she finally gets home. And uh, all that's left from Leah Thompson is her hair in the shower. Did you see that? It's a necklace. <laughs> it's not her hair. <laughs> I thought it looked like hair. I guess it could be. We'll have to go back and watch it again. Like, you know, it's not obviously it's not that the her entire like scalp, you know, <laughs> stayed behind. It's just that you're showering, some hair goes down the drain, sometimes around the drain, and uh yeah, she opens the door of the shower and looks like there's just like, you know, some of the loose hair there. Uh so when this happened, Alex, by the way, were you wondering if Leah Thompson was gonna be home? Or were you like, oh, Of course she was she disappeared? Oh no, the movie made sure to establish her as you know, she she believes in God, so she's better than the others. So I, I knew she was going to be gone. But that would have been such a twist, right? If if you yeah. found her, and yeah. and then it turns out that well, for all her her proselytizing, <laughs> she still she had a really dark secret that was worse than anything Nicolas Cage could have ever done. But anyway, I, so that's step one, and then step two is I guess she goes to church, and she finds <laughs> she finds the one priest that didn't go to heaven. Yeah, yeah, and he's just kind of like, oh, God. He says, you know, I preached it, but I didn't believe it, or, or whatever he says. And says, I've gone to heaven, and now is the time, you know, we need to repent and protect ourselves. And he says, he says something like, you have to listen to me. And she was, I wrote this down because it's so good. She's like, why? You didn't even listen to you. <laughs> Brutal indictment of uh, priests everywhere. Left behind, taking no hostages. You can tell the movie's coming to an end. Uh, the times are coming to an end on board. The fuel is leaking out. 
Uh, it's behind them, so there's no danger of like the, the plane going ablaze. We see another plane crash in the background. Nicolas Cage is just trying to land this thing and get them you know, out of the air. Uh, meanwhile, Chad Michael Murray is using his satellite phone to try to get in touch with Chloe just to see if he can get some nudes before he potentially dies. Uh, as we cut back to the ground and Chloe climbs like this really high bridge. And is the implication here that it's supposed to be she's going to kill herself? I think so. Which I didn't catch until she's about to do it. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure what she was doing at first. And then she starts talking to her mom, which, by the way, would have been the, the best picture clip, I think. Because she has a big monologue where she tries to make peace with her mother, who's no longer around. Uh, and then when she's done, she looks down. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's going to jump. And then the second great thing, I guess, is that because she went so far up, now she's close enough to to Nicolas Cage's plane that she can pick up the call from uh, CMM. She can, and she does. And he explains the situation at hand. And I guess this is when she realizes she needs to live because she's got to help assist them. She finds a sustained stretch of road that is going to help them land on. She's got to go clear a lot of it out, though, which just kind of plays into her clearing the way as the plane descends it's just kind of adds to the heightening of tensions and drama here and are they going to be okay uh i believe the budget had ran out at this point because the cgi here at the end is like i was just expecting to cut back to jeff fahey with his hair sizzling (laughs) but that's i think that that proves that when you have a good story you can get by on subpar special effects if if the movie has you, then I was because uh, by now it's everything's coming to to a head, right? It's uh, the people in the in the plane are praying. It's just that we've we're embracing. We've gotten where we knew we were, we're going. Oh, it's a faith based movie, so of course the the turning point is going to be all these people coming together, and and you buy it. The the build up has been successful enough that when they all start praying, it's. Uh, it's it's a big deal. It's it's great, uh, especially man. Can you imagine like it, under any other circumstances, this would be terrifying. You're in a plane, and the captain Nicholas Cage like gets on the radio and goes like, "By the way, if you believe in God, now's a good time to start praying." <laughs> um, I didn't verify any the truth to this or you know what it was, but Nicholas Cage said that was actually his addition, and it was part of research he did that. That's kind of like a code amongst pilots that if they're in a situation where they're about to take action and there's a likelihood it may end fatally, they say that over the intercom of like, if you believe in this now would be the time for prayer. And so (laughs) if you don't believe though, isn't that just, doesn't that make it all worse? uh, Yeah. I mean, it's just kind (laughs) of like, you just got to sit there and kind of just twiddle your thumbs and reflect on it. <laughs> well, if the pilot doesn't sound this confident, I, I, I guess we're screwed. But anyway, the, the, the point was that everybody prays and it's great. And then the other, the, just opposite that, I think, you know, that's the traditional thing that you, you expect a faith-based movie to to be about praying. But what, what I didn't expect was the faith-based movie to celebrate technology uh, because really smartphones save the day here. Uh, Chad Michael Murray instructs Chloe to to pull up the, the Compass app on her phone so she can guide the plane because they can't see at this point because their instruments are all fucked up. That's good. I, I like to see religion and religious movements kind of like 
embrace the future, embrace technology, and and so on. So that was cool. Hey, Chloe, your phone. I want you to open up the Compass app. So the runway's cleared. They are able to bring her home, land it, and safely evacuate everybody. As soon as they land, though, it's like, all right, get the fuck out of here. It's smoking. It's going to be bad for you. And they <laughs> deploy the the inflatable slide gimmick. And uh, Nicholas Cage goes, now that's pot racing. <laughs> Nicholas Cage like takes a bump off it. I'm, I'm sad we didn't see how he landed because he kind of just walks up and like, whoop, and like jumps off of it. Uh, but they make it to the ground. Chloe runs up and first embraces Buck, which is tremendous. I think we know <laughs> where the love is there, and then embraces her father. And one of them says, "I think this is. I think it's over." And Chloe says, "I'm afraid it's only the beginning." Dun dun dun. And then someday, by Sugar Ray starts playing as the credits start to roll. I think that well, Cage doesn't get the 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 first hug from Chloe because he's busy apologizing to to the woman he was cheating with. Because she didn't know that he was married. And that comes up, I guess, when he's unburdening himself. And that this is the, the big moment of the movie, I think, or the big emotional moment. Because she, he apologizes. He says, I'm sorry. And then as she, she walks away, she, she gives him the hand solo. She goes, I know. And then she walks away. <laughs> and that was a, you know, it's a nice little arc to Nicolas Cage character. He starts off the movie thinking that... You know, he's doing something bad, but he's not harming anybody. And then he ends the movie in a post-apocalyptic world. And uh, the only thing he can do is apologize for everything he's done wrong. Like, he says that when he's trying to land a plane. Doesn't he tell Chad Michael Murray, I want to give all these people a chance to right some of their wrongs? (laughs) Very noble of him. Saint-like behavior. Yes. Saint Cage. Saint, uh, what's his last name? Saint Steel. Saint Rayford, Saint Fort. There you go. Uh, well, Alex, that was uh, that was left behind. Zero percent. Are you ready to go to real talk? I am. Yeah, zero percent. And while it was not good, it is not the worst movie we've done on this podcast. No, we've done. <laughs> There's a preview for real talk. Uh, we've done worse movies that have higher tomato meter scores. For example, No Holds Barred. <laughs> Touche. Fair enough. I set myself up for that. All right. Yes. <laughs> let's uh, let's move it along. And to you, our faithful listeners, we will catch you in part two for some real talk. Looks like the end of the world. No, not yet. I'm afraid this is just the beginning. 